0: We are in the process of uh, going through the book, the first letter to the Corinthian church. We are focusing now on verses 4 through 7, and we've been in this now for about 11 weeks. I'm looking at 15 facets of love. What is love? And the reason that I have lingered there is because of verse 13... Verse 13 says, the greatest of these is love. So I'm thinking that if the Lord says this is the greatest thing, then I'm not sure that we can spend enough time on it. So if you would, please join me in prayer, and we'll read verses 4 through 7, and then hit the ground running. Father, we come before your throne, thinking about what we just sang, power of the cross. Uh, Father, I think of the words of our Savior, it is finished. And there's so many ramifications that come out of just that simple statement. And yet, Father, we draw together today in your name, we profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. They call us little little Christ Christians. And yet, Father, you have knit us in this body. You have knit us with these people that we would be the portrait of Jesus Christ himself to a lost and a dying world. Father, help us to hear this day. May the power of your spirit teach. May our ears be ears to hear and eyes to see. And Father, may we bow before you in a manner to walk worthy of our calling in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 4, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I share with you verse 13 of this chapter because I'm saying that this deserves quite a bit of attention. It needs to be lingered long in the consideration of a Christian and I think about our day, our world, uh, this word is used a lot. Love is in the air. Love is everywhere. But the thing is is that I can love my car, my dog, my wife, and my kids, and I use the same word. 36 words describe love in the Greek language. And uh, I'm not sure that it even does it. The word that is used here is Agape. Which is the highest single form of the word love that you can get. The word in our day is used much, but I think that in most of the time it is abused. It is abused. And what we have here is what I call God's understanding. This is God's understanding of what love is, this is God's understanding of what love does. Dr. Spiros Zodiades made this statement in a book that he entitled on the 13th chapter, To Live is to Love, or To Love is to Live. Sorry. His quote is this, Nothing is sufficient in the life of a Christian except love. Unquote. Nothing is sufficient in the life of a Christian except love. Okay. We've already looked at it in the first three verses and It says if I have the ability to speak even in the the languages of men or even in the languages of angels and I do not have love, I'm just noisy. It says that if I have the gift to stand before and proclaim and if I have the gift to have all knowledge and I have all faith as to move mountains and I have love, I am a zero. I have nothing. I have nothing to bring to the table. If I give everything I own to feed the poor and I surrender my body to martyrdom and I do not have love, it is absolutely no benefit whatsoever. So you understand what's being said there? Love's important. Love is important. I wonder how many at the time of their death are exercising selfishness or even flaunting their selfishness at the time of their death. Because he says you can have spiritual gifts and if you're not using your spiritual gift in love, it is of absolutely no power. It's zero. I've already showed you in chapter 6 that what are you building with? Gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, or stubble. There'll be a fire that comes upon it. And when the fire is done, what will you have? A handful of ash. Or something that is embraced by love is empowered by love. See, love is everything. The, The behavior of love is what the Holy Spirit is after in this text. You need to understand something. 66 books of the Bible. Got it? 66 books of the Bible. Nowhere is love defined. It's not defined. What? 66 book. It is described. It is never defined. Why? Because here's how it is described. God is love. God is love. We, today, what I mean, evangelicals in the United States today, as the Corinthians... Have received some things from the Lord. You've received a lot from the Lord, okay. And I'm just going—I got a very short list here. I'm not going to go through all of it. Everybody's like, "Oh my goodness, here we go." As the Corinthian church, I want you to understand this. Church, this is a church. This is not a people. A bunch of people have a religion. That's what was asked of me at this funeral. What's your religion? The Bible. So what? The Bible. That's my religion. What? That's crazy. Well, what denomination are you? Depends on what day you're talking to me. All right? We have received everything that God could give. Here's what he gave you. Salvation. God gave you salvation. God gave you the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. God gave you a hope of heaven. God gave you security. God gave you the truth of sound doctrine. God gave you supernatural enablings called spiritual gifts. God gave you leaders, spiritual leaders. God has given you abilities. God has given you teachers. And I'm thinking that God has been pretty gracious. What do you think? And in spite of all of that, those in the Corinthian church and many in the church today in America were selfish and loveless, self centered, self indulgent, to the point they were willing to wound other Christians in their arrogance. I see it today. All over the place. It runs amok. Okay. I I, I am fascinated by this because I watch it in many veins, spiritual gifts y- used. To hurt people. They're spiritual gifts. But they were designed for each other. Your gift is for me. My gift is for you. And it's across the body of Christ. You exercise your gift. Chapter 12 verse 1 says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Let me ask you a question. If the Bible tells me, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Why are we ignorant of them? Why? Now, we have some visitors today, but I asked on my fellowship several months ago, do you believe that the church is ignorant of spiritual gifts? And everybody said yes. And I'm sitting there going, well, how's come the Bible will tell me I don't want you to be unaware of these things, and we all stand around unaware of these things. And I can tell you why. How many in the body of Christ loved the way Christ loved? And if I am not exercising that, how are you ever going to know what your spiritual gift is? It's that simple. I mean, you know, one of the things, <laughs> I was having a couple of conversations this week. I spent the week with lost people. I had to do some work up in Leadville and everybody I was working with was lost. I had a funeral and the majority of those people were lost. And so I just dialogued with lost people. Or I didn't dialogue. I just didn't really care about what the Broncos were doing or the Rockies were doing or anything else like that. And everybody, when they would find out what my day job was, all of a sudden they would shift into spiritual and explain to me massive truths that they understood. And, and I don't say that to be arrogant, but I say that to say, what in the world are you saying? I run into three little Russian kids on my last trip to Russia who had no idea what the name Jesus was. Clueless, never heard of it. I said, but you guys celebrate Christmas. Yes. What is Christmas? Santa Claus's birthday. That's what it is. These kids have absolutely no understanding. They had no idea. And yet if you ask them, do you have a religious belief or a, a, a belief in, oh yeah, Russian Orthodox. But you don't know who Jesus is? Never heard the name. No, never heard the name. Never ever. In America, most people have heard it. Okay, most people have some kind of, yeah, okay, so what? And yet I see that mentality is the same mentality that was in the church in Corinth is the same mentality that's in the church in America today. I have a spiritual gift. God has given every believer a spiritual gift. His own design, how he wants it used for the purpose that the spirit wants it given. And he gives it to you and to me so that we will help others. That's what it's for. That's why the Holy Spirit writes in the middle of a discourse on spiritual gifts, 12, 13, and 14 is dealing with spiritual gifts. Why? I don't want you to be unaware about spiritual gifts. Why? I explain it to you very simply. Oh, by the way, in the middle of this thing, here's a discourse on love. Why? How many people minister their gifts without love? Okay, and listen, I love it the way you define it. It's not a feeling. It's not icky sentimentalism. It's not an attitude. Okay, it's not a philosophy. Listen, without love, ministry is noise. Without love, ministry is nothing. I want you to stick your finger in a text because we're going to come back to it. I'm not going to go to it just yet. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Okay, Just stick your finger. It's just a couple of pages over in my Bible. But just stick your finger in there because I want you to think about it because I've got three things I want to share with you about love quickly as I get into this. Love can only be described by observing it in action. You got that? Love can only be described by... Dis- observing it in action all the terms that you see love in the bible are verbs love is not something you define it is something that you do okay second thing love is not a feeling it's not an emotion it's not an attitude third thing. Love is always, 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 always related to somebody else. And it's never to me. Love never focuses on itself. Love is always focused on somebody else or somebody's else. Okay. That'll help you if you keep those three. And we're looking at 15 facets of love. We've gone through, it suffers long. It is patient with people. It is pay. See, that term there is dealing with people. Okay? We can be patient with things. Have you ever watched your children uh, just before Christmas? And when all of a sudden that pile of presents under the tree gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then the great debate starts Are we allowed to open a present on Christmas Eve? Okay? And there's anticipation, but they're patient. It's killing them, but they're patient. Okay? But they're patient at what? I'm going to get that's not love love is patient with people it is relationship bound so when it suffers long or it's patient it's the heart of the father of the prodigal son did you get that? did I say that right? yeah I said it right it's the heart of the father of the prodigal son why? he waits and he never gives up He never gives up. Never gives up. And then he looks and there comes the sun. And he runs out to meet him. But love is also kind. Okay, literally means it's useful. Love spends itself on others. Got that? Love spends itself on others. Okay? It's also not jealous. Love is not jealous. All right? It's not seeking for itself and it never wants what someone else has. Okay, that's what jealousy is. Why do they have it? I should have that. I've worked harder. Okay, and not only that, love is pleased when others have it. They rejoice in the rejoicing of others. Which brings me that it does not brag It is not, uh, it literally means windbag. Love is not a windbag. Okay? Love doesn't shoot its mouth off. See, love is far more concerned uh, as someone else receives the honor. That's why I try to tell everybody, well, you're a pastor. That means no, I'm fertilizer. That's all I do. I try to make you grow. That's it. Or I'm a foghorn. That's it. I mean, there's nothing glamorous about my job. I mean, if you really think about it, I'm a hireling to watch sheep. And if you've read uh, Philip Keller's book on the shepherd's look at the 23rd Psalms, you're going to think, that's a nasty job. And it is. You know why? Sheep bite. And they kick. And they're, they're not real bright. <laughs> well, they're not. Love doesn't have anything to say about itself. Okay. But that case gets us to the next one because it says it's not arrogant. This is verse four, end of verse four. Not arrogant, puffed up. And it's literally of the same word that you see of no bragging. That's the inner attitude that causes people to brag. That puffed up is the result of the windbag. It literally means the person is such a blowhard. At some point, it has to release it. It's it's like uh, I don't know if you guys remember. My uh, grandma used to use a pressure cooker. Everybody, some people, what? It's sort of like a, sort of like a microwave on steroids. You can blow up the kitchen with it if you do it wrong. But it heats up inside and it's got this little thing on top that starts blowing out the steam. That's the terminology the apostle Paul says, these arrogant people blow off steam. I call them spiritual blowhards. They are exaggerated over their own image and therefore must tell somebody. Okay? The sixth facet of love is that it does not act unbecomingly. It's not rude. There are people in the body of Christ that says, we're going to do it my way. And they're indifferent to what others would think or what others would feel even. The key, I believe, to love is the seventh facet of love. It seeks not its own. It seeks not its own. I'm not in this thing for me. It's not Uh, self-centered. It's not personal edification Do you know that they have a coal mining hall of fame? We got a hall of fame for everything. We got horse hall of fame. You can go see horses. We've got a jockey hall of fame. We got a football hall of fame. We got baseball, basketball. They're all hall of fame. We got hockey hall of fame. Why? We like to exalt people, exalt self. How do you do that if you're not seeking your own? How many people are worried about personal edification, personal strengthening? How many people are worried about personal satisfaction? Love seeks to edify others. Love seeks to bring satisfaction to other people. (coughs) Last week we looked at it. It is not provoked. It literally is not irritated. Love is not irritated. It doesn't get upset. It doesn't get angry. Really? Well, wait a minute. What about righteous indignation? Sure. When it comes to the cleansing of the temple, be mad about it. Guess where the temple is? Bummer. Be angry about your own sin. Absolutely. Be angry about it. Be irritated about your own sin. Absolutely. I agree. All right. The apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 was in Athens and he says his spirit was provoked. By all the idolatry that was in the city of Athens. Doesn't mean when you're driving down the road and the person cuts you off in traffic, it has a little fish symbol on their bumper? Shouldn't irritate you. Car saved, they're not. Don't worry about it. Okay? Let's go to the end of verse 5. I want you to, think, I want you to look at this one because this one here is just sort of a, a trip. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Okay, that's New American Standard translation. King James, New King James, says it thinks no evil. The NIV says keeps no record of wrongs. So when I was going through the translation of this, I thought, what the heck does this mean? And so I opened up my little Greek thing and I opened it up and I looked at it and I found a word that just floored me when I read it floored me because it's one word love agape logag idzama and I know what that word means I have seen it all over the place Laga idzama. it's an accountant's word it's used in keeping books Literal, literally in the Greek it means a mathematical calculations that are recorded in a ledger Okay. When an accountant, this is essential If an accountant. I'm not an accountant. I don't play one on TV. But they have a book and they write down such and such has paid this much or owes this much and it is essential to their job and their well-being and so that they won't forget what is owed and what is collected and all the rest of it. The text is basically saying love never keeps books on evil done to it. Love never keeps a record of anybody's offense. Pretty interesting thought, don't you think? Now listen, uh, when I went into this, the first thing I thought of is men and women. And men will all sit there and go, you just don't know her. She remembers what I did 42 years ago when I was, and I didn't even know it. That's not what you can do with this one. It's the idea of holding someone accountable for a wrong or an evil. Love just... Forgives and forgets. Christum, uh, the early church father, said this, and I quote: "Love is like a spark; it falls into the ocean and is quenched. When an injury falls upon a loving Christian, it is drowned, just as surely." Unquote. That's the way it should be. Whatever it is. Lago the verb, many of you know, you've heard it. If any of you have done a study, the precept study we did on Romans, you got beat ragged with it. Okay? Because Lago is the New Testament uses to speak of the pardoning act of God. As God has not kept any books on our sins. So we're not to keep any books on trespasses or evil offenses of others to us. The term that you see it used a lot in Romans is the term that you know as imputed. Lago gizemai is translated that way. You see it One of the best ever is a quote out of the book of Psalms. Psalms 32 comes out of Romans chapter 4 verse 8. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. He's quoting the psalmist. Blessed is the man that God has no books on his account. If you take it in the line in the thinking of 1 Corinthians 13, blessed is the man of whom the Lord keeps no record of his evil. I'm thinking that guy's blessed. What do you think? You know, I, I, have you ever thought about it? And maybe you've heard it taught that you're going to stand before God and they're going to run all of your stuff that you were saved from and he'll pardon you so you, you get to see all the stuff that you did wrong. The big chalkboard in heaven and he'll just erase it. Okay, you know what? ain't there. It ain't there. Why? There's no record. God doesn't have a ledger. He doesn't have a ledger. Ah, oh, Matt did this to name Got it, that one. Oh, looky there. Just got that one. You know what? When I read this loggy of mine, I think about it from this perspective. God's going to open the book. Terry Ball. Opens it up. One word. Righteous. Close the book. That's scary stuff. Man, that ought to just make you want to just jump up and shout. It doesn't happen. He's not keeping a record. There's no ledger. No no register. There's no record. The Lord is not mathematically adding up your sins. and saying, well, I'm telling you what, you don't have any idea how lucky you were. Whatever well, do make you happy? Hey, how could a Christian ever be bummed out about anything? God ain't got my ledger. Dude, I stubbed my toe. Uh, I have a puppy in the house now. <laughs> Give me strength. He's teaching me not to be provoked. That's what he's teaching me. And I've got these sweatpants that I like to lounge around in the house. And any time I walk out, he immediately comes. And he's getting bigger and bigger by the moment. He grabs a hold of the back of it and just hangs on. And I'm dragging him around the house. (laughs) Every once in a while, he gets too close. And he grabs me by the leg. All right? And I keep records. (laughs) Because there's going to come a time when he's going to get hard of hearing and all the rest of it. And I will be keeping an accounting of the bites that I have on my ankles and my toes and, and the times they spent my coffee and all the rest of it. The Lord doesn't keep any records. We as Christians need to understand this because there's a text that we miss on a regular basis. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. It says this, and mainly God speaking of what is ministry. What is ministry? Ministry is reconciliation. These things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. If you're saved, you have ministry. What is it? Reconciliation. Who? Any person that comes into your life. Okay, whether they're lost or saved. But here's what he says in verse 19. Namely. Okay, here's namely. Here's what it is. This is what the ministry of reconciliation is. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. Logi It's right there. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Have you ever dealt with a person that you would just like just as soon knock out as to sit and talk to? None of you have ever had that? Okay, bless you then. You're, you're lucky. I'd live in that place. And and and, and it, whether it's lost or saved, has, has anybody ever hurt you who's lost? has they? Taken advantage of you? Use the mercy. We had a guy, I, was just, I told Albert about it the other day, uh, that we poured ourselves into as a body. I mean, we did all kinds of things. But this enough, they found him dead uh, just a week ago, 36 or 7 years old. Okay, and you just sit there and you go, man. And, you know, what? Well, I don't know. You know, as, again, that's one of those, well, do you think you ever got, really got saved? You know, it doesn't matter. The contract signed, sealed, and delivered question is you that's the question do you, see, do you understand that The this thing of keeping track God doesn't do if you're saved if you're not saved guess what then if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ guess what I ain't keeping track. I don't care how many times you cheat me. I don't care how many times you hurt me. I don't care how many times you defame me. I don't care how many times you slander me. I don't care how many times. You know, I remember when I first took the pulpit of this church, I had a group in this church that says, You ain't been called. We don't want you in here. And at their Sunday school class, they were getting as many people out of Sunday school class to leave the building. Don't go upstairs and listen to him preach. Bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. That's the silliest thing I ever heard in my life. That's junior high school. Okay, fine. God is not counting their trespasses. Well, what do they say? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, it's the Southern Baptists, what I've watched, they have the they build churches by division. (laughs) Well, they do. You know, I get mad and I start my own church. Well, you don't know what you're doing. And they go start another one. Okay? God does it by multiplication. Okay? But we do it by division. And you know what I found? I I deal with some guys with the IFCA, Independent Church Fundamentalist of America, and they didn't want to be in any any denomination, so they started their own. And you should join us. Well, you guys didn't want to be in a denomination. But but I you know I don't I'm not here to knock it down or anything like that. But you know what I listen to these guys. They got the same issues. I've never heard of it. This guy, you know, we got a guy who's left the church while he's in Lordship Salvation. He doesn't believe in it. What? So you guys have the same problems that I've got. <laughs> so much for independence. Don't keep the trespasses. Don't keep it against, Don't keep it against them. In James chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Abraham believed in what? It was lagoizmi, as righteousness. It was accounted to him as righteousness. This is fantastic. You know what I like about this? God hasn't got any resentment. <laughs> and you think that's good? I think that's a good thing myself. Let me ask you a question. Now, you don't have to raise your hands or anything like that. This is, I just want to ask you the question. As a Christian, have you ever offended God? Don't raise your hands and then you're right. What? As a Christian, I'm not talking about before salvation. As a Christian, have you ever offended God? Guess what? There's no account of it. There's no account of it. I watch, especially in our denomination, if you're divorced, you, you are borderline blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now listen, I hate to teach, tell you this. The Bible teaches grounds for biblical divorce. Don't read them. Don't read them. All right, but it's in there. That's awful. Well, I'm telling you, it's in there. But I've watched people get treated as if they were lepers. You're divorced. I don't even know why God still has you here. <laughs> Instead are going, there's no record of the account. It's not in there. God says, Oh no, you're righteous except for the divorce. Nope. It's not in there. It's not in there. That's crazy stuff. But I watch people. Yeah, I'm telling you, they're going to hell. How can you say that? Well, because they're divorced. That's the covenant of God. You've never broke the covenant of God let me ask you a question what do you do with number one you'll have no other gods before me how do you do with that and I always get them in trouble with this okay why you're telling me I can borrow money to build my house I can't borrow money to build God's house what's first you know what he's saying don't you sell your house God's more important read Haggai Haggai is nasty They'd gotten out of Babylonian captivity within five years. They all had nice paneling in their houses with pictures and curtains, nice furniture and all the rest of it. God's had to work on this temple had stopped, And God says, don't make me come back. And that's basically what does. It's that a whole people, everybody repented and went back. <gasps> I'm sorry. See, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that I could take every Christian in this room and say, there has been a time, probably numerous times, where you have offended God and He doesn't keep a record of it because His love is absolute in its forgiveness. Okay, God so loved us that He doesn't keep an account of our sin. He just forgives it all. That's when you think about Jesus on the cross. He says, it is finished. Do you understand what that means? See, resentment keeps track. Resentment keeps books. And, and I watch people in resentment, and then I've probably f- fallen into it a time or two. You brood over your ledger. Huh? Maybe you guys don't. You're, maybe you got it better than I do. And I can make, take a molehill of an offense and make it a mountain of hostility. Can't you? Well, I just keep looking at the book. Boy, did you see page 11? I wrote that bugger down. I got the date and the time. See, love never makes memories out of evil. Love is fast to forget. Love sees past the sin in in the fact that God loves them, whether they're a believer or a non-believer. I look past it. You know what? Love hesitates to believe a rumor, any rumor. What do we do? We grab hold of it. I can see that happening, absolutely. But I know them. I know just what they're like. Love always forgives. It never keeps an account of a wrong, any wrong. Love. Is never irritated. It is never resentful. That's what love is. The love of Christ in the Christian today is the same love that God gave you at Calvary. The ledger's gone. It's all gone. You don't have to worry about it. It's all gone. Now then, with that in mind, I'd ask you to go to 318. 2 Corinthians 3.18 2 Corinthians 3.18 Let me ask you a question See here's what we do with this The facets of love Well that husband of mine He ain't never loved me like that He's not patient He's never been useful for anything He's jealous about this And I'm telling you And, and I remember back in the winter of 44 That he did this and this and this And what a knucklehead All right? Some women are like that. Some men are doing the same thing. You know what? I'd have helped her if she hadn't been such a... Anyway. Right? You know, I read the Proverbs. A nagging woman, I'm going to go sit on the roof of the house. (laughs) Right? See, you missed it. If you start looking at other Christians and how they line up, to these 15 facets of love, you've completely missed it. You've completely missed it. Let me ask you a question. Do you love the way that is listed here? See, this is the way Jesus loved. And we are followers of who? If you went to the church in Corinth, what would you see? Followers of Christ or... Followers of men. I am of Paul. I am of Paulus. I am of Cephas. Dude, I am of Christ. You don't preach inductively. You don't do this. You don't. Do, I can't believe you don't have this kind of study. Why don't you have a us Why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? We do it. We do it all over the place. Now I want you to look at verse eighteen. The first three words. I like the first three words. But we all. You know what that means, right? It doesn't say, but we pastors. It doesn't say, but we elders. It doesn't say, but we Sunday school teachers or we evangelists. It says who? We all. You're saved. You are the all. It's nice to know your name's in the Bible, doesn't it? Your name's right there. You all. Ewan's. Okay? With the unveiled face. You know what that means? I can see clearly now. It's not veiled. Okay? That's what drives me crazy about people in the Bible. It ain't veiled. Okay? We now all can see clearly and we're beholding as what? I like this part. This is not a two-way window. Or one-way window. We are looking where? Who is? And you all are looking in a mirror. I am looking in a mirror. I am not looking at you in the mirror and you're not looking at me in the mirror. You are looking in the mirror. I am looking in the mirror. Well, what does it say? What are you beholding? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What a bummer, huh, dude? I was gonna go down and eat with you guys. And I don't think so now. I'm gonna go home and break my mirror. <laughs> I don't care if I do get seven years of bad luck or whatever you're supposed to do. It's got to be better. When I look in the mirror, what am I seeing? Because it says here, you're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, the spirit. Let me ask you a question. When you look in that mirror, do you see this love? Because if you don't, there's one cure for it. Don't seek your own. Don't seek your own. How many people go to church because they think that I, I need something for my let's see my little kids, my big kids, my under kids. I'm single. I need a singles class. I'm divorced. I need a divorce recovery workshop or something. Uh, I'm an alcoholic. I need an alcoholic Bible study or whatever. I've heard all kinds of things. There's a the church in Denver right now. It's called Bible and Beer. And it's in a bar and you guy sits over in a corner with his Bible and you can go get you a, a Michelob on tap and sit down and discuss spiritual things. And I thought, that ought to be fun. <laughs> you know, this basically about 2 o'clock in the morning. We're all lit up and spiritual. <laughs> you see what I'm trying to get at? And everybody's like, why do you go to church? Why does anybody go to church? It's only one reason for what I can give. And it happens with every ch- child of God. I already showed you what the ministry of reconciliation is. Who is that? Children of God. There's a ministry of reconciliation. We need to be reconciling one another. Right. Strengthening one another. Edifying the saints for the work of ministry. And yet, look at what the church has become. And what do you do with verse 18? I like it. We all. I like that is so great for a pastor I want to graze the verses in the Bible why it ain't my fault <laughs> they all got their own mirrors but we all like to do what keep account of the others such and such what haven't been in church in three weeks do you call them no hmm. if it's that apparent to you then I'm thinking that God's laid it on your heart and you should call them. find out why well, that's awful. Yeah, it is. But what do we have? We got you take a group of people, and he says, "Pastor, you know, he hasn't called me since I've known him." That's good. That's good. Why? Do you really want the pastor to call? Most people freak out when I call. <laughs> All right. I mean, the people at the hospital people know that I I got I have absolutely no hospital manners I don't know that's a place full of sick people get get better and get out of here I can't fix you okay well come come up and see you know whatever I don't wanna, first time I went to a hospital a guy had had prostate surgery and it was radical and he just ripped that thing back and said look what they did to me and I was like oh my god <laughs> laying hands is not going to fix this but he said I'm trying to get out what do you want me to do pray I think I'm late. <laughs> but I don't. Do you see what I'm trying, but the Pastor needs to come. He needs to show me he cares. Let me tell you something. I spend forty hours a week to preach this single message because I care. Okay. Why? Sanctify him with. Truth. Your word is truth. I mean, if you're really honest with it, I can tell you what my boss says he requires of me. Rightly dividing truth and praying. Or pray and rightly divide truth. But, but, no. I tell everybody, and I'll close with this because I want you to think about it. The only thing that I ask of the saints of God is to walk with me. I don't need you in front of me. I don't need you behind me. I need you with me. Why? Because this is our ministry. God has put us here collectively. Us. When I go to Russia and teach, it is us. They have a picture of us, our church, and all the people. Remember, some of you guys remember? Remember when we set out on a step and Took a picture here. They got a picture in the prayer office and in, in uh, Valerie's office and down in the Sunday school classes, and they pray for Castle Rock Baptist Church. Why? Because they understand that it's a sacrifice for us to do that. That's amazing stuff. I need to get a new updated picture, by the way. <laughs> Simple question close mouth with prayer. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? It's that simple. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to bow before your truth. Father, help us be overwhelmed with your presence. Father, help us to be overwhelmed by your word. and Father, help us understand that it's not about us. It's not us seeking our own. It's not us bearing the fruit that we want to bear. It is living sacrifices laid on your altar that you choose at your timing for your purpose for your glory. Father, if we are to be as Jeremiah, so be it. If we are to be as Paul, so be it. But Father, let us do it with an eager expectation. Father, let us do it that times when we glance to the mirror, we can see the glory of our Savior your son as we decrease and as you increase. Father, thank you for this text. Father, I pray those who have heard will be strengthened. But Father, I also pray, praise you for what you've done in my life with it. For such clarity, such simplicity. Father, help us. We beg you to the son of Christ to the sons of Christ. Help us walk as saints of the Most High God to your glory. Amen.